Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is James, and we are reading chapter 39 of the Blood Magic series, In the Light of Day. January 27th, 2009. I thought you were done with your research. What's all this paper? Harry asked jovially, striding over to Draco's workbench, where he sat hunched over many sheets of parchment, letters spread out in front of him from many different senders. Harry smelled like outside, and he had brought a clean chill in with him when he came in to the cottage. Draco lifted his head and leaned back just far enough to press his shoulder into Harry's side. I finally got a letter back from the DOM, he said, feeling elated with the response he had gotten, and I'm finally getting round to responding to letters from Christmas. Oh, and what did the DOM have to say for themselves? Harry asked, eyes bright and smiling. He let his hand drop casually on Draco's shoulder, smoothing the wrinkles in his sweater as he asked in a mocking simper. Dear Healer Malfoy, thanks for blowing our minds. Please keep being amazing. Draco huffed a small laugh. My God, Harry, don't be ridiculous. By the way, you never told me Granger worked for the DOM. She's the one who responded to me. Oh, yeah, I guess I never really thought about it, he said, looking surprised. Anyways, Draco went on, they sent pages and pages of reviews on my potions, theories and test results, as well as a massive list of suggestions and places to improve. He picked up the stack and started rifling through, looking for a specific page. They ended it with this, he said, handing the page to Harry to read. Dear Healer Malfoy, your dissertation has been reviewed and your potions tested. After thorough investigations into your formula and rigorous metrics, all of your potions were passed through to the live participant testing stage with St. Mungo's. We are pleased to inform you that not only were your original theories and assertions correct, but we were able to find more diverse applications, of which we listed per potion on page 17 of your review. In addition, your suggested case study has shown marked improvement, and we feel that with time we could see at the very least a partial improvement of the damage. What interested us the most was the notable fact that unspeakables in the past have tried to study the use of Thestrals in healing potions, and none have been able to reap the same results that you have. More interestingly, the same can be said about unicorns. We are studying the individual magical signatures that certain witches and wizards carry to allow them to access the property of these ingredients. We believe you may be one of the rare magical people who are able to engage and use Thestrals in this way. Our questions are as followed. Would you be interested in working more closely with the DOM in research and application of Thestral magic and healing? We are eager to continue these investigations. In your research with unicorns, did you come across anyone with the same affinity for them as you have found for the Thestrals? Do you know anyone else who is able to use and approach Thestrals in the same manner as you? Do you have access to rare magical plants such as Wigan Tree, Gentian Root, Bog Myrtle, or Tormentil? Would you be interested in pursuing research avenues of healing outside of blood curses? When can we make an appointment for you to come to the DOM for an in-person meeting about your research? We await your response. Ministry of Magic, Department of Mysteries, Senior Administrator, Unspeakable Hermione J. Granger. Harry, looking notably impressed as he read to the end of the page, smiled at Draco when he was finished and handed back the parchment. Looks like you have a lot to think about, don't you? Indeed I do, Draco smiled, turning back to his work, enjoying the lingering feeling of Harry's hand on his shoulder before Harry turned and walked to the kitchen to make them tea. He set aside the DOM paperwork in favor of getting his social calls out of the way. Pulling the letter closest to him, he read, 
Draco, thank you for the copies of your books on magical creatures. They were ever so enlightening and fantastic. There's very little that can beat an old, old book. They have deep meaning and hidden truths if you know how to read between the lines. I most appreciated the section on yetis and the majestic Loch Ness. And thank you for your crocheted crumple horn snorkak. I really think you captured their likeness from my descriptions. I can even use it as an educational tool to teach others about them. I hope you're putting the yarn I sent you to good use. Greg loves his scarf and we miss you terribly. We can't wait to see you in March. Love and holiday cheer, Luna and Greg. Draco smiled to himself, thinking about the ridiculous stuffed creature he had made for Luna. It was ghastly and deformed, but he knew Luna would love it anyways, the odd woman. He had been so thrilled for the bag of yarn she had sent him for Christmas. Wools, cottons, silk blends, and other soft and luxurious textures that his fingers were itching to make into more beautiful things. He scratched out a lengthy response to Luna before reaching out for the next letter. Malfoy, hope you're well. Thank you for the dragon mittens and for Fang's sweater. He looks right adorable, and these mittens are the warmest I've ever had. Hope you're able to get some good use out of that wolf fur I sent you. Remember you said Luna spins wool, so I thought she could spin it into some yarn for you. They shed their undercoat in the spring, so I collected to felt blankets for small critters that need help, and I thought you'd like the extra. How neat would it be to have a scarf made of wolf yarn? Anyways, happy holidays. Love, Hagrid. Draco snorted at the memory of opening a bag full of what looked and smelled like shedded dog fur with the simple label wolf. Sure, it was soft, and yes, wolf yarn sounded pretty awesome, but it smelled like a wet dog and made him sneeze for 20 minutes. He would have to figure out how to make it usable with Luna when he got back to real life in March. Smiling fondly, he wrote back to Hagrid. Next was a letter he wrote to St. Mungo's, confirming his return date to work with an accompanying summary on his progress with Thestrals and Unicorns. He also included his intentions to consult with the DOM, clarifying that his work schedule would now have to accommodate their needs as well as his. He worked his way through a stack of neglected letters, finally resting on his mother's. She had written a formal apology for her behavior on Christmas, as well as for his inadequate childhood. It didn't quite seem sincere, more a force of pure blood habit and impeccable social skills, and Draco bristled at the tone. He didn't have anything to say to her quite yet, so he replaced it to the corner of his desk and instead pulled out his final piece of parchment to write to Neville. He had been nervous about writing to Neville. He felt a lot of guilt for bullying the boy in school, for being a part of the group that hurt his parents, for being related to the woman who cast the curse, for also being a victim of Lestrange. But when he finally got the courage to write to him two weeks ago and tell him that he was the one researching ways to help victims of psychological spell damage, Neville had been over the moon. He had written to Draco four times since, discussing potions and thestral theories, ways to improve his work. It had been a relief and a joy, actually. He and Neville worked really well together, and he was such a refreshing burst of insight for his work. After finishing this final letter, he stood to take his small stack of scrolls to the cupboard in the corner for the house elves to deliver. That night, laying in a tangle of limbs with Harry, under his thick duvet, he thought about what the future would hold for him, for them. Draco was so proud of Harry for writing to Luna, for taking the steps necessary to keep himself sober, to peel back the layers. They were checking all of the boxes to give this a real try out in the real world. Harry's deep, slow breathing 
indicated that he was fast asleep. Draco studied his soft, relaxed features, breathing in his familiar smell and feeling the rise and fall of his chest under Draco's hands. He was finally comfortable with the want he felt. It was okay to want someone this badly. It was okay to have these feelings. But a new feeling was emerging from his depths, something acrid and stained, spreading its insidious tendrils around Draco. Something that had been keeping him up late these past nights, well beyond the time when Harry fell asleep. Draco was combating a new form of fear, one that was superseding his fear of being physically intimate. He was afraid he wouldn't be able to give Harry what he wanted, what he needed. He was afraid of his shortcomings and inadequacies. He was afraid that when they left the forest, Harry would get tired of waiting for Draco to be ready for him. And Draco wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to reopen himself in that way, even if it was with Harry. But if he didn't, would Harry leave? Would he realize there were easier ways to get off than sitting around waiting for Draco to unpack the rest of his baggage? Draco wanted Harry, he really did. And perhaps that's all it would take to push himself through the discomfort and just give Harry what he wanted. Get over himself so Harry wouldn't leave. The thought of anyone, even Harry, breaching him in that way again of penetrating the place that was last violated by Lestrange was a nauseating prospect. Even in his recent foray into constant self-pleasure, he never once fingered himself, never once tried to reach his prostate. It was a place he had yet to reconcile with after the trauma, a place too burdened with memories that threatened to drown him. And of course, Harry would, would want a top, wouldn't he? The gorgeous and newly gay man laying next to him wouldn't be a bottom, would he? No, Draco didn't think so. Didn't think Harry would allow Draco to take control like that, be opened in that way. He would just have to get over himself if he didn't want to lose Harry, he thought to himself, resolve settling in his gut like a jagged rock. Draco had already denied Harry when he had asked to move in together. He had felt so touched by the thought, by the offer, and felt a sinking guilt to say no. But Draco needed Harry to figure out who he was and what he wanted on his own first. If they were going to be together out in the real world, Draco couldn't be the foundations on which Harry built his sobriety. So in the end, he had said no. That no felt like a lead weight on his chest, a suffocating pressure that only felt heavier as the days slipped by. And with every passing moment, his worry about losing Harry increased. He needed to do something before it was too late, and he lost his chance. Taking a deep breath, he buried his face deeper into Harry's shirt and drew comfort from the familiarity of it, trying to be as close to him as he could without waking him. He counted the days until their last night in the hollow and knew that his time was running out, knew that on their last night he would have to do it. He would have to get it over with. He had a month to work up the courage. In exactly one month, he would give himself to Harry and hope that it was enough. So, how was reading that? Oh, God. These last few chapters are going to be so brutal. Yeah, I feel like we were doing so well. So well, so well. And then... I was just like, recovery's not linear, right? It's not linear. Do you identify with Draco's thought process in this? Yes. I hate it. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. I like how last chapter you were like, let's talk about how much you hated that chapter. Yeah. And now here we are. Yeah. Well, I hated the chapter before, so... 
Fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, like, inborn feeling that I, th- I think a lot of survivors have is, like, this inadequacy that, especially, like, when you have a romantic or sexual relationship, that, like, you won't be able to satisfy another person because of your baggage. Mm. And I think that's, like, a really common thing. And, like, just wanting to push yourself through it. Which is, like, a completely inappropriate thing to do anyways. Yeah. You know, it's, like, not healthy and not helpful for anyone. Yeah. But, yeah. You but, could you say know, that. When you're, like, trapped in the middle of that, just being like, I just want to be a normal person! <laughs> <laughs> or you're terrified to leave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, like, the lack of communication that's going on. Yeah, they like, stopped talking. Yeah. It got too real, and they stopped talking, and now they're both very much in their own heads. Yeah. And making assumptions about what the other person wants and needs rather than just asking. Yeah. Which I think, like, fear and, like, new experiences and change can do that sometimes. Totally. Mm. Totally. Also, like, this is... I mean, we kind of forget because they're a lot older and they've Mm. been through so much, but this is, like, their first relationship. Yeah. Like, I mean, Harry was with Ginny, but... Does that really count as a relationship? Don't be mean. Okay, I won't be mean. <laughs> it counts to some listeners, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but definitely their first, like, uh, maybe, like, relationship as an older person. Mm-hmm. Um, like, very adult relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And first gay relationship mm-hmm. for Harry. Well, and Draco. Draco's first, like, actual relationship. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're I think suddenly very intimidated by yeah. the reality of it. Yeah. And having to sort of like marry these two concepts of like recovery and emotional honesty if you don't have the like experience and maturity. Yeah. So, you know, Actually foundation, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then it gets a little difficult. It gets a little dicey. Yeah. Yeah. Shame I just feel really bad for Draco in this chapter. Yeah, me too, because I feel like if if he was at a, a, a better place where he felt like he could communicate these, like, fears, they'd be able to talk it out. No, it would it'd be, be fine. It'd be, like, one conversation. Yeah. Um, like, do you think Harry actually cares? No, not no, at all. No, not at all. Not yeah. at all. But, like, Draco's made all of these assumptions yeah. about, like, what Harry wants and needs and what he's capable of giving. I think that assumption-making and, like, logic-leaping is just very much part of anxiety, too. Yeah, definitely. And it's just, like, rearing its ugly head. Yeah, Yep, yep, yep. And again, it's that thing of, like, he doesn't have space from Harry to, like, process any of this. They're no. just, like, together all day, and he doesn't have anybody else to talk about it with. Mm-hmm. Like, he isn't sharing it with his friends. Mm-hmm. He's not relying on his social network. It's just, like, it's just him and his inner bogart, and <laughs> they're having a party. Yeah, and he hasn't talked to his therapist in a while. Yeah. There's yep. been some space. There's been some space. Some inappropriate things, things, space. Things are going badly. Yes. This is poor coping at its finest. Do you want me to read my chapter now? Oh, God, maybe. I think we should power through. Yeah, I think so. But, like, I had a, something I was going to say, and I can't think of what it is. Nope, it's gone. Yeah, I think things will come to light very soon. We can. There's plenty of talk to talk about. <laughs> Once we get to the end, yeah. <laughs> Great. Oh, no, like, you were saying, like, you were really frustrated with Harry in the last chapter and, like, feeling like, why isn't he just, like, doing better? Mm-hmm. And I'm having, like, the same feeling with Draco. What did you say to me right after we ended the recording? <laughs> you were like, 
well, he's not ready yet. He's not there. Yeah. You tried to be all like high and mighty about yeah, yeah. it. No, I'm like feeling, and that's the thing, like, like having this, like such a hard time having empathy yeah. for yourself when yeah. you're like in a not as good place. Totally. Like it just feels like so frustrating. Like, Oh, why can't you do better? But like, if you don't have the like tools or skills at hand to actually do better, like, it's not your fault. No, no, of course yeah, not. Exactly. Of course not. No, no, no. But like, it's, it's terrible to yeah, read. Yeah, it's <laughs> terrible to read. It's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh my God, get it the fuck together. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then like trying to like, you're just making it worse. So much worse. And like just trying to like rally some empathy for myself. <laughs> really <laughs> struggling to do that. Yeah. Because like I, I have like a world of empathy for like Harry in the last chapter. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that sucks. Like, Whereas I'm feeling for Draco yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But like I have a hard time doing that for myself. Yeah. It's like fucking impossible. That's a difficult skill we're still working on. Yep. <laughs> Check back at the Wolf Star. For- yeah, yeah. See how far we get with that. <laughs> Not far at yeah, no, all. Right? 600,000 words later, we're still like, I have no empathy for myself. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, is, God. That our, is that our new oh, like fuck. mission? Because that sounds really difficult. That's I don't a- think we're going to get to that. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Uh, well... That's way too much self-reflection for today. <laughs> yeah. Moving swiftly on. Bye. Yeah. Thank you for listening. <laughs> See you next time. If we still manage to keep this going. Yeah. <laughs> we just ghost. Now we ghost. <laughs> We're done here. Run off into the wilderness. Now okay. you run. Okay, bye. <laughs> oh.